0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, T-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today, we get to welcome the incredible Barack Bevel to the show. Barack is a retired undercover cop. Uh, he is the host host of Chase the Vase podcast, uh, keynote speaker. He's a drug alcohol recovery expert, and uh, given the p- current political climate, whatever going on now with the fentanyl, and everything, I figured uh, well, let's bring an expert on here and really get down to the meat and potatoes of those problems affecting everyone. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. This is cool. Uh, I kind of want to start here. before we kind of get into how you kind of fell into becoming uh, the expert you are with alcohol. And- uh, drugs and all that your life and career as a police officer um, you had to you were forced to retire because of an injury and the injury led to you being addicted to uh, the painkillers um, and it led down to a spiral almost of your life with your family and stuff. And for those people, if there's kind of a way, I don't know if it's one of those subjects that uh, is touchy for you. Cause I know with me and some of my friends that have been in law enforcement, the stigma attached to not only asking for help, but being a male that kind of comes off is I could push through this type of stuff. And so to kind of give us kind of a rundown of like how you kind of, what rock bottom like was for you and what was the turning off to kind of launch yourself into where you are now?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. And you're absolutely right. That's the, if I could break a stigma, if I could shatter something, it would be the fact that that's the biggest lie out there that men's mental health is way more important than, than the tough side of it. If that makes sense. Um, I remember there was a few times where I'd be sitting and briefing as a cop. You know, we we just went to a, a, a violent scene, right? We come back in briefing the next morning and everybody and the Sarge says, Hey, how's everybody doing from the scene yesterday? Let's say I remember there was one where a family all, all died in a, a traffic accident a few days before Halloween. And uh it was tragic, right? And a baby was in, involved, and we come back and Sarge asked that and I'm looking around. And nobody, nobody's raising their hand. And I'm like, well, hell, dude, they're not raising their hand. I'm not raising my hand. I'm not going to be that guy. And so I ate it. I just didn't say anything. And that, uh, that's, that's a fallacy, man. That's the, the biggest crap I've ever seen that men don't cry, that we can't have these emotions. Because what we're seeing is just the opposite. Men are killing themselves because they can't speak about it. So that is one of my goals to be honest with you is to start breaking through that stigma and in addiction, I think that's one of the most important things that we is a hurdle that we have to overcome is the fact that we have to talk about it, right We're sick right. as our secrets and i and I always qualify it like this I, I I had a monster under my bed, and when I was using drugs when i when so I was a police officer. I got involved in a traffic accident. I was run over. I had multiple surgeries. I was prescribed opioids. I got hooked on opioids. And it was, I would pacify it. I I would say, if you look at me, Hey, I I got run over. So you can't say anything to me. You can't say you turn into an addict. You can't, you can't say anything. Cause I can pull my pants down and show you my scars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally. Right. And, uh, I hid behind that because I didn't want to talk about it. But I do remember the first time that I said, "Listen, I'm an addict. I got to talk about this. I got to get this out." And and the fact that my perceived notion was going to be that people were going to judge me and call me a pussy and and all of that, it was the opposite. Man, I got I got um, received with open arms, and and people were thankful. So so just to be short on this answer. In addiction, I think it's so important that we are not that we don't not talk about it, and that we break that stigma as well.
0: That addictive personality was that? Was there an addiction part of your life uh, before the opiates, or was this the opiates the first time you actually had that experience of now, I'm addicted to this? Or was there gambling, or I know people with pornography, or there's people that are addicted to their job. There's people that are addicted to anything. Is that something that you had before that, or were the opiates is catalyst for that?
1: 100%. I was addicted to pornography from the age of eight years old. My, and to be honest with you, that was a harder addiction to overcome than was the opioids because, and I'm, I am i won't get too deep into it, but the, but the opioids were more of a physical addiction where, op- where the pornography was more of a spiritual mental addiction. So people are like, what does that even mean? But it, it was, it, I had, it, there was a chemical hook on both of them but um so so yeah that that was a big thing for me is trying to to figure that but but the job became the most important thing right so so all my life there's always and i don't think it was so much the job i was addicted to the chaos i was addicted to the rush like i wanted to work undercover so bad because i i just felt like that was the next bump on the rung that was going to take me to that ridiculous, relentless pursuit of chaos.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're undercover. You're doing drug deals. You're dealing with drug lore. I mean, you're you're guns and ammo and all this stuff. And it's like, for me, that that idea of, because you watch the movies, right? The TV shows, you read the comic books. It's like the hero, you always want to be the hero, especially as a guy growing up. I wanted to be Robocop or Rambo or any Chuck Norris character. It's like, those are all made up great characters, but it's like, when you get down to it, You never see those characters portrayed as crying. I mean, the occasional PTSD war hero that has that incident. I think Rambo did that really cool. But you never see the hero crying or asking for help or like emotionally unstable to the point where it's like he can't do his job. It's always he's just going to kick the door in and blow everyone up. And it's like I wish they start Hollywood and stuff started really dramatizing the people that do ask for help. And I think those are the kind of tragic heroes, people and kids, especially kids today can kind of rally behind.
1: Yeah. And I agree with that, but within the department, um, this is a really important element that you just hit. If I talk about it, if I come up to you and so, so I was on a team called the scat team for a while, a special crimes apprehension team. We worked undercover, uh, and it was an eight man team. It was a small, small band of brothers. And, and, uh, if I would have come to one of them and said, "Dude, I'm struggling. I have post-traumatic stress or, or any of that, you know, hey, I've just that scene messed me up." I was fearful of that because they would have taken it as a weakness. Like, "Hey, dude, we can't put this guy in the door. We can't let this dude go in the door first because he's second-guessing himself. He's struggling." So we're gonna put him out in an outer perimeter. Let him just sit out there. He's like, we can't, we can't trust him enough to bust in the door. Does that make sense? Right. So, so there was that risk reward, reward. Like, hey, if I talked about it, I'm not on, I'm not on the team. I might still be physically on the team, but I'm not attached to those guys. I'm not a war warrior like those guys. So that was a fear, brother.
0: And when you talk to those, that, if you talk to those teammates uh, now. I'd be, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like they all had the same thought. And it's like, like, I, if Brock's not talking about it, I'm not going to talk about it. And if I'm not talking about it, I know Gary over here is not going to talk about it. And it's like, how do you break that circle where it's when it comes to recruiting now for law enforcement um, and we, we don't even get into the whole defund police, the whole thing we have yeah. the last two years, but when it comes to recruiting men and women to serve in law, is that one of those things that should be part of the process where it's like, Hey, here's some scenarios. Like, why are you going to ask for help? Why didn't you ask for help? Or how do you come across the scene? Like how do, what, what do we do to better prepare the young kids that are going to be out of college or coming out of the military that want to be law enforcement, but maybe they don't understand some of the, the, the drawbacks of it.
1: Love that. Love that. What a cool, what a cool uh, segue. So here's the problem is if you enter the Academy, most of the people teaching the Academy are OGs. Yeah. They're not young dudes, like, you know what <laughs> I mean? They're OGs. They're they're salty as hell. They're yes. mad at the world. Yeah. And, and they're the ones that are leading this generation. The problem is these kids today, they're smart, man. They're they're better than us. They are seeking treatment. They are they are talking about it with their peers. And I and I am seeing a paradigm switch there, but still, when you put that uniform on, dude, you're different. You and you ask, like, how do we break that stigma? We need, we need real talk, right? We need to have an opportunity. For example, I got in a shooting, right? It was uh, two days after Christmas, December 27th. I got in a shooting. I killed a guy, shot him through his windshield. It was a major scene, right? His sister was a, was a, a Phoenix dispatcher who also got involved. And he just, dude, you take a man's life. It's just tragic. Right. And, and I remember um, seeing a psychologist. First of all, the psychologist was a joke. He wasn't culturally competent. He'd never been in like, honestly, brother, I walked in there and looked at this guy and I'm like, this dude's never even been punched in the face. Like, how is he going to even understand what I'm talking about? Like when you take another's life in the line of duty, it's, I mean, even though it's my profession, I signed up for that. I agreed to that. And I don't have a problem doing that. If it doesn't affect you, you don't have a heartbeat. You're human. Right. Right. And so for me, that was a big thing. And uh, I'm sitting in his office and he's like, well, how are you doing? And I'm, my, my head's like thinking, how the F do you think I'm doing? I just killed a guy two days after Christmas. And it, he's a family guy and and it sucks. Um, so my thought is this, man, like, why don't we do a better job? And, and why don't we and here, here? This is kind of something that I was thinking about in law enforcement. I'm not going to go see a counselor. For me to physically go to a counselor is tough, right? right. Um, it, 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 especially when it's something that I want to do. But why can't the department mandate it? Why can't the department be like, hmm, Brock just shot and killed a guy. He's been back on the street a week. Nobody from the department talked to me. The only person that talked about my shooting after the night of the shooting was a psychologist. I come back to work, Nobody asked me about it. No, dude, I'm saying nobody. It's, it seems like it'd be
0: beneficial if there is another guy, maybe a senior guy to you, that wasn't a shooting a couple years ago. And hey, man, let's go and get lunch or let's go in the break room. And if you want to talk for three minutes every day, I was where you're at. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's you, yeah. they will nitpick you for a, a faulty speeding ticket with a spelling error. Yet the minute you're involved in a good shooting, I mean, I put that quotation, Great. but you never want to shoot someone, but they, Oh, you're good. It's, oh, it's, it's asinine. And the, the other thing too, and I remember when I was in the secret service, one of my classmates, he got run over, he was on his motorcycle uh, by someone that wasn't paying attention, killed on his bike, leaving training for center. And we were all shell shot because we we're so young. Like he was an awesome kid recourse sniper. And, we get told this and we're all emotional. We're crying. Cause this is our buddy. And uh, the supervisors at the time were very like, well, this stuff happens. And it was very like, I, maybe it's their way of dealing with it. Maybe they're sad that they lost by their own. Yeah. I don't know. I can't read their minds. So we went and met with the psychologist, whoever it was. They, they basically sent you to downtown headquarters. Hey, go talk to this person. And by the whole time, for me, it was super quick, but in the back of my mind I'm going, this person's never pulled a gun on, never had a gun pulled on them, never had someone they trained with for nine months, they they just met and been in the trenches with with training and everything, and here they're trying to tell me how to deal with it or what loss. It's just there needs to be a way where there's like a big brother or sister program in law enforcement where. Hey, you were involved in a motorcycle accident. Or you're on painkillers. I was there, man. I'm right there with you. Let's just go to let's hang out together. It's like you you bring in these foreign entities that have really have no understanding of why that person became a cop to begin with, and they're trying to tell you how to deal with it now when you're already involved in something.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And my my thought to that is, I'm not gonna go see a psychologist. Why don't I bring someone, put them in my patrol car? Yeah and let them ride around, Look, cause that's my home, that's my safety net. Like I'm most comfortable in my patrol car. Like when I, when I worked, you know, patrol, like that was my sanctuary, dude. I knew where everything was at and I was, right? Put them in the car with them. And just, even if they don't talk, like I have someone to talk to. Listen, I had, I had this psychologist ride with me for a shift for 10 hours. And I had a chance to talk to him and ask him any question they could, they could evaluate, but evaluate me at my place. Yes. Don't evaluate me at your place because it, like, I can lie my way through any conversation, right? <laughs> does that, does that mean? I mean, shit, yeah. I worked undercover. I can do right. it. I, I, I can fit into where you're at. I can go to church and bake it. So it doesn't matter where I'm at, but it, but I can't. Like when you're in my patrol car and you're seeing, like, you brought up a couple points. Like, I, I remember going into building searches sometimes or walking down a dark alley when we're pursuing somebody. Like, if you've never been there, you don't know what that feels like. And that it's just you, it's just really like, it's empowering that I'm doing it. But other people, when you put them in that situation, like, dude, this shit's crazy, man.
0: So that, that rush of going down the dark alley, you know, your team's about to surround this guy. Maybe guns are out. You're about to kick down the door, throw a flash, but whatever you're doing, that same feeling rush you have. Was that something that when you had to be forced to retire, that
1: the opiates gave you that sense, fault sense of rush to that? Well, to a point, here's what happened, man. When I retired, I lost my identity. So all that stuff you're talking about, all that cool stuff yeah, was it, gone, was yeah. gone.
0: You're taking the dog and, for a walk. You're, and, you're making a um, whole oh, for the, the diapers, kids. Dude. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm like, <laughs> freak, dude, who am I? Right. And I didn't miss, uh, I missed the chaos I miss the adrenaline, the scenes. I miss talking to my dudes about like a shooting that was just happened or yeah. an arrest we just made. Like I missed it, dude. Coffee talking, tasted
0: better drinking with uh, those guys than at home. Right?
1: Thank you. Right? You <laughs> get it. So now I'm trying to put my life back together, and I noticed this, brother. The more opioids I took, it started filling a void. It it it, it allowed me. First of all, it, it calmed my nerves a little bit. Like, I wasn't so worried about what those guys were doing. Because I still I still felt like I was a part of them. And they're not calling me and they're not texting me. They're not paging me and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, I was just battling with you guys yesterday. Where are you? And so my mind started tripping, brother. It started playing tricks on me. and started taking me places. But the opioids quieted those noises. But at the same time, it allowed me to do things I would never do if I wasn't using like being comfortable stepping out of my wife in a relationship. Does that make sense? Like, to be honest with you, it, 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 oh man, it's hard to talk about because I mean, that was a real point in my life where I made poor decisions because I I don't want to say they were my decisions. I 100% own it but they were easier to make when i was using opioids. Yeah, it was almost
0: like that uh like a negative guardian angel It's like, you know, yeah, do it. Yeah, your guy got you.
1: Yeah, you won't get yep. caught. Yep. Yeah. I, it it was a bit dude, i i laugh about it now and i don't tell this story very often, but i mean, you're obviously you understand what i'm saying, dude. Um, like the dick pic became popular. You know, i don't mean i don't mean <laughs> to be weird, but like dude, i would never send a picture out like that. Like I, in my brain, I would never do that. But all of a sudden, like you start slipping, you start doing dumb things to try to maybe gain that chaos again. Right. Because like you, you probably dwelt best in chaos.
0: I love when the bomb threats called in, or there's a guy that's running to the stage or there's a, there's something, Same. there's a, there's a stalker showing up with a gun. It's like, Oh, I'm ready to go. Like give you more Let's coffee. Go Right. And in those moments when it's not like that, you, you 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 obviously your goal is not that you can place it, but to create that same sense of you're paying for what could happen, not what's happening right now. That, that whole mentality. What, what, like I have? I'm always looking for a way to create that kind of. Well, what if this happens right now? What am I going to do? How am I going to react to this? And sometimes when I'm not touring, especially with the the first year or so of the pandemic, you're kind of like, dude, my livelihood. Like, there's only so much working out I could do. There's only so much. Yard work. There's only so much I could do, and none of this equals a ounce of rush when it comes to being in a venue and meeting with the head of police there to go over uh, active shooter scenarios like that. For me, that's the rush. And it's that's like rush. I I couldn't fulfill that with give me a, a bag of energy drink, some coffee, and maybe thirty minutes I'll get with you. But after that, I'm like, dude, this this
1: sucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what the the drugs allowed me to do. Calm me down. It's. When it comes to as a family
0: man, you're like having seven kids in this day and age with the the access to drugs and it's how it's I know recently you posted uh I believe on your uh, Chase the podcast page, the idea that you could openly market fentanyl on some web pages and social media now. It's like as a father, what talk me kind of through like what it's like when you were a kid versus now in terms of would you have rather been your own parent or would you, is it
1: tougher right now to be a parent of your kids right now? You know, that's cool. We had that conversation this morning at our breakfast table. We were talking about the kids. My kids went trick-or-treating last night. Oh God. Right? <laughs> Dude. And, and, and it's just. A, Before
0: you go on, do you remember? When, when, like, literally the other day, I was talking about this. We was talking about the history of like trick-or-treating. I remember when we get apples and like homemade cookies and my parents would be like, Oh, go ahead and eat it. We trusted the neighbors. we, it was an experience. Yes. You do this now. Don't even step foot on my property before I shoot you, because I don't know if you are a trick-or-treater.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And don't
0: be giving me fresh big needles. And, <laughs> no, it's just like, dude, remember the candied apples we get? Now oh, yeah. I read something in Dorchester, Massachusetts, a couple of weeks ago that someone was arrested by putting uh, needles and stuff in apples, and like all the stuff in grocery stores. I'm like, what are we doing as a
1: society? Yeah. No, dude, I, I – uh well, here's the deal, man. When I was a youngster, dude, I mean, I I, I smoked weed, yeah. right? Um, The difference today is there's no difference. Like, it's absolutely asinine what these kids are going through. Like, with their phones and social media and trying to keep up. Like, I wouldn't trade – <laughs> I wouldn't trade the world for my kids, dude. Right? Like I wouldn't do it. I don't want to change space with them because it's difficult, dude. Like you smoked a blunt back in the day, you never worried about dying. Yep. Never. Even when you were just trying it, every I mean, we we did stupid things, but today with this fentanyl epidemic, people don't understand. Like, let's let's get into this. in tw- In twenty twenty one, one hundred seven thousand people lost their lives. Overdose. I think seventy percent of those was fentanyl or opioid related. Right. Think about a jumbo jet of three hundred people going down a day. That's what we're losing in America today. That that was last year. Right. Like this year is going to be. It's going to blow oh. it out of the water. But if we lose a jumbo jet a day in America, we go nuts. Dude, yeah. we would. You know how we react. We go. The only intention is to find that black box to to find out to make it safer. What's going on? They're how still this talking up?
0: about the Malaysia Air Airplane that went down years ago. Thank you.
1: Right, <laughs> right. Yet we have three hundred and three people dying a day. Yet we're not doing anything about it.
0: Is that because hey. it's hard work to get this solved, or or people don't want to put boots to the ground for this?
1: I, you know what? Here's the problem, man. It's super political. I know. I I don't like talking politics either, but I, I but I do follow a trail. We 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 understand yes. the DEA is kind of in charge. Yep. They're saying fentanyl is being made in China. Now, understand that in in America we have legalized fentanyl. Yeah. Right. There are fentanyl patches that's used for pharmaceutical grade. You go in. Hey, I don't want to take a pill. They'll give you a patch. You slap the patch on your injury, and it does the same thing. Well, the problem is China has, has used these pharmaceuticals as a drug and Russia in 2001 actually weaponized fentanyl on a hundred terrorists. I don't know if you've ever heard about that story, but they actually used a canister. They blew it in as a gas and it killed a hundred, a hundred of the hostages. Right. It was, it was, it was a bad scene and and so we understand there there's different capabilities of fentanyl. China gets it in the pharmaceutical grade. They ship it to Mexico. This is not like we're not calling on any country or anything, but that's the paper trail. That's where it's going. It's going in China or into Mexico in, in, a, in a soluble format. They're taking it and mixing it into powder. They're throwing it through these pill presses. And when the pill press, they're getting about 20,000 pills an hour, right? And have you ever heard of the the chocolate chip cookie effect? Yes. So, okay. So you understand why fentanyl is powerful because um, when it goes into the press, these guys aren't, they're, they're not professionals. They're not pharmacists. Yep. So when they're pressing the pills, like you may have one milligram of, of fentanyl coming out, or you may have 40 grams. Yep. You don't know. And so you may get lucky right now, the DEA saying four out of 10 pills are, are gonna kill you because they're so powerful. And, and and that's the thing, is now every single drug out there, every drug out there is being smashed with fentanyl. I'm talking marijuana, vape pens, gummies, anything that you're seeing that can come across methamphetamines, cocaine, everything has fentanyl smashed into it. Why? because it's keeping us high right it's getting us into active addiction because when i was taking opioids man i didn't think i was gonna die from it right. does that make sense well these kids today they're taking a pill and they're dying because of the potency so-
0: and they're good kids too And it's like I'm, we're not i'm not here to knock you're not here to knock a kid that wants to smoke weed for the first time or maybe he's whatever and it's like hey i know people that did cocaine i know people that whatever and uh these good kids are making a, maybe we'll call it a bad mistake. Hey, you shouldn't be doing fentanyl, obviously. But you know what? He's whatever, and he's a good kid. He's a star athlete. He's a all letterman. He's smart. He's got an awful girlfriend. Great family, and he ODs now. We're left to pick up the pieces of the family. It's like, what are some like telltale signs that these parents that think their kids are bulletproof or they're good kids? But good kids get into trouble too. And it's like if we don't see the trouble signs.
1: Early enough, we're 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 burying them six feet in the ground. Well, brother, here's the problem. That's not even the case. Let's even let's even go back further than that. These kids don't. Let's say, well, let's use your Letterman kid, a high school kid. He hurts his ankle at a football game, right? Hurts his ankle at a football game. Goes to a party. He's like, he asks his buddy, "Hey, do you got any of those? You have an oxy perk? I just, dude, my ankle's just hurting." Well, the problem is. The Percocets today are laced with fentanyl, so they think they're taking a perk. They have no idea. That's why it's that's why it's not an overdose. It's a poison. They're being poisoned because these kids don't even know what they're taking. They they have no idea. I mean, by now we should assume hey, there's probably fentanyl in it. But I just did a I just did a, a an interview with Ohio PD. If you want, I'll send you the information, the yeah, sure. pictures. But uh, they stopped the vehicle, and in the vehicle, these dealers, these traffickers had white Tylenol stamped aspirin, forty percent fentanyl. It, dude, if you would have put that up to a Tylenol pill, you would say that's Tylenol. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to mask it to look like it. That's why we're coming out with all this candy fentanyl, right? Yep. Is is just? It's just. Where we want to present it to you as not harmful.
0: I, uh, when I played lacrosse in college, I broke my clavicle, I broke my hand, and they'd give me Percocets. And I was a sophomore year in college, and uh, I didn't want to take it because I grew up, I never, my parents never said, Hey, if you don't even take Tylenol, if you have a headache, drink water. Like, there's there's always this really cool way my parents handled if you're sick, we'll eat toast, eat, drink some ginger ale. Never was never put this false sense of medicine inside you. As I get older, I still refuse Tylenol, and if I have a headache, I gotta drink more water or maybe I'm overtired. Or there's got to be other ways. It's it's always interesting to me, especially after the pandemic, that the number one, not to get political, but hey, if if you got your booster, here's a free donut Dunkin' Donuts, as opposed to, hey man, drink water, eat healthy. uh what? It's almost like they're they want to whether it's control or population control specifically, if these people are dying, it's like, what are we doing? Why are we pushing the right thing here? Cause it's like, I don't play with athletes who broke their ankle that never, not once took a pain medication. Right. So whether it's an individual thing, but the, the fact that it's accessible at that age to here, John, you're, you're 18. Here's, here's a vial of Percocets. And I remember this clearest day. Let me know if you need more. I'll, you just call ahead and you can come by and pick them up. And this is back in 2009. I remember all my buddies and stuff, I am in the military college. They're like, hey, if you, if you want to sell those, I'll give you 20, 30 a pop. And I'm thinking, oh man that's, man, that's great money. But then you look, you sit back and you're like, dude, why do people want this stuff? Because I was raised, I was fearful of drugs. I've never smoked weed. And so I've obviously in the industry I'm in now, I see all sorts of craziness, but I'm able to step back and be like, I don't have that nature to do that. It's like for me to have deal with friends are like, Hey, $20, $30 a pop. And it's like, dude, what do you need these for? Like, I didn't understand it. And it's like, you see these stories now of kids and even my cousins that, Oh yeah, this kid, he's a dealer. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I never had that.
1: Well, here's what's scary, man. Like when, when I would buy drugs from as a cop, We, we, dude, it was risky, right? There was some risk involved. Like you had to, you had to go there. You had to, you had to make them think that you're, yeah, want to buy dope, right? Your, your, your cover story, everything. There's, it had to be super intense. Well, today, these kids are buying dope without even contacting verbally, not even speaking to the dope dealer. Listen, parents, if you're listening to this podcast, listen to this. I'm telling you, I cannot tell you the amount of kids and parents that I've talked to that have drugs delivered to their doorstep, paid for by Grubhub. Okay, so here's what they're doing. They're going on Snapchat. They're getting hit all by emojis. So you as a parent, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're, your kids are probably involved they've been they've been hitting up. That's what you saw online dude someone hit me up. this is what I do on a daily basis and some dude is hitting me up asking me, giving me like I didn't even put out the pictures like he had all Astrid. the drugs laid out with prices that I'm like, dude if if I'm getting this, imagine what our kids are getting hit with. so these kids are going online. A plug, right? That's what the emoji is. That's what a drug dealer is. Is starting a conversation, and then it goes in emojis, and then these these drug dealers are delivering it to the house, and you as a parent are probably paying for those drugs. Yeah, hundred percent. Because your kids are calling you up, and say, "Hey, mom, I'm getting some. I'm getting some GrubHub delivered. Can you pay for it?" While they're masking it like it's GrubHub, you're paying the bill. Your kids overdosing. It's and crazy. so that's yeah, that's the crazy part because what's the risk? What's the right. risk? Like, there's no risk involved other than maybe you dying. But these what's, kids, that's a go what's ahead.
0: It's our duty to say, say one of us comes across something, or like the obviously the power of podcasting and talk shows and press, that's one way people are gonna start getting this information. But it's like, how do we, if we come across that, like say I come across this, I see my cousin talking about this. What's my duty? What's my protocol or steps to maybe this person needs help, but even thinking big picture, how do I alert the authorities on this? Like, how do I, there's people listening to this podcast and be like, Well, man, my friend's daughter was talking about this and we're not sure what to do. Well, what do we tell them to do?
1: Yeah, so with Snapchat, it's kind of crazy because you know how Snapchat Stupid. works; it, oh. it goes away right away. Yes, but the police we 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 know they can get involved, and they're and they're and they are, and they're doing a great job. And Snapchat's trying to say that hey, we're doing a better job finding this. But it, I mean, whatever. Here's the deal: we got to do a better job in our home. We, as parents, we need to take some ownership. As leaders. Um here, here's a prime example dude we do this on a daily basis we go to schools all the time and talk yet there are still schools out there that are not carrying narcan
0: fascinating
1: so it's like okay hold on you have all this national news you just had a principal back east that saved a kid yep by giving the kid narcan save the kid had he not had it that kid's dead but yet we have schools thinking listen if we carry that stuff, then people are going to think that we're a school full of drug addicts. No, we're not, bro. You may save one child's life. Yeah, it's the, same,
0: come- the same schools will be like, we don't want a police officer out off front because we don't want to look yeah. like the militaristic or it's like, well, you can't have it both ways here. You right. want to help solve a problem that be a solution. You don't want to use that dark hand ever as a teacher. But if the day you use that, you save a life, you might just change that person's life. You save that kid's life. Yes.
1: It's, it's life altering. Yeah. I don't know about where, where are you at?
0: Massachusetts.
1: Massachusetts. We're in Arizona, bro. We're right by the border. I oh, you. And then dating. Good luck. Good right? luck. Right. And we're having we're having kids dying in in school. We just had a kid in Queen Creek, right down the street from us, uh, at a, at a school take take fentanyl, die overdose. So you're thinking about the and and that's not. The, I mean, it's all the time. It's just not as publicized, man. And so to get back to your question, as parents, we need to do a better job. We need to talk about this. We need to be informed. We need to know what our kids are doing. Right. That's a lot of the problem is as parents, we're like, well, I don't want to look at my kids' phone. I don't want them to think they don't, I don't trust them. I want to give them enough enough space. Hey, I get that. But hey, let's open up a dialogue. Let's let's inform them. Let's teach them. Let's show them how dangerous this stuff is. Because, you know, my I have daughters, man. My daughter gets a cramp. At school, she's got cramps. She's got a period. Um, if she didn't prepare, she didn't bring Advil or didn't bring whatever, she's going to go to somebody and say, hey, do you have anything? Yep. You got to know this stuff. Right. You got to prepare. And so that's what I'm saying. You come across it, your kids are are involved in this kind of activity. Seek treatment, man. Get help right away. Alert the authorities. I mean, uh, dude, if if someone's dealing Fentanyl, they'd know they're dealing Fentanyl. Yes. That. We know what's in the product. Like when I was involved in that game, we knew what was involved, what was in it. You know, for these kids to say, well, I didn't know it was fentanyl. Come on, dude, you know what's there. Like right. let's be real people here.
0: Is it fair to say that it's, if, when it comes to an addictive personality, could there be a, a positive version of that personality? that's beneficial. Like someone like you, that's like my new addition now is making sure people hear what i'm saying to save a life is or is, okay so addiction I th- for me it's so tough every time i heard addiction they're still doing like it's a negative connotation but someone who's super passionate about changing the
1: world for the better for kids and whoever that addiction can be positive right absolutely we all have addictive personalities i mean let me, let me have your phone for 72 hours right you're right. gonna be like, damn, where's my phone? You're gonna be looking for that thing and be right. checking your phone. you're gonna have those 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 rings that you're right. like, what the hell? He no one to...
0: calls you on the phone anymore, <laughs> so you're just wasting your time on it.
1: Right. And yeah. so let me but let me have your phone. And and so there's some there's some addiction that are positive. And just like what you're saying, man, when I finally figured out how to break my addiction to pornography and to um opioids, I want to teach it, man. Like it was crazy when I figured it out. I'm like, dude, I think I broke the code here. You know what I'm saying? Now, now is everybody going to, going to succeed from it? No. But we have about an 86% success rate because I'm taking you and I'm breaking you down like I would do a search warrant. Like it's right. crazy. You think about a search warrant. I want to know everything about you. I want to know everything about the, I, I mean, I want to know every, weakness and strength you have so i can rebuild so it was the same thing i did in my addiction dude i needed to figure out who i was and then if i could if i had an addiction to opioids man i needed to take that same energy and put it to something positive positive. and right. so my my goal is man let's freaking change the world dude you know what right. i mean And so that's that's my goal Would you deal with like say a,
0: say a couple comes into you they both have uh drinking issue or whatever it's obviously affecting their home life their marriage their kids is your first step how hard is it for your job if the people there don't want to be there or is this easier for you to deal with people that want to be there want the change they need the help like how do you deal with those people on either side of that
1: yeah you rarely see a mom and a dad you rarely see two people that come in together to seek treatment okay One's usually like, I'm tired of this crap. I'm ready. I'm in. If you want to come with me, great. Come with me. If not, I'm on my own. And so that's usually what you see. Uh, I've done the treatment side where I owned a rehab. I did not love that. You know, you get 30, 30 guys in a room, 25 guys in a room and you're trying to teach them. And it's like, well, you, your addiction is pornography. Yours is gambling. And so we took a different approach. We, we got rid of that and we're like, listen, we want to do one-on-one counseling, like what I'm doing right here with you, where we're talking and we're right. getting some root of some issues because that's what you have to do. Your addiction may be related to your childhood tra- trauma. My addiction may be related to the guy that I shot, right? And so we got to start at that level and then go from there. And so, but one thing that I try to do is if I'm dealing with a couple – like I deal with so many couples, man. I want to get the couple on the same page as soon as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because usually the guy goes or whoever's the addict, they go get treatment, they get 30, 60, 90 days, and then they come home and they're they feel better, but they still got, they still gotta deal with mama. Yeah. Right? They still got with those, they gotta fix that too. And not even their addiction, but all those those things that they destroyed in their home. And so, those are what we want to try to merge.
0: And for the, say the example, the the father or whatever goes there, gets help. He comes home. The wife is still dealing with it because she's obviously hurt by it. or Whatever the kids are affected by it. How tough is it of your job is to help that woman, uh, the wife, understand that? Hey, he's trying. It's like for them too. Maybe I think you just said it best. It's like you the, the quicker you get the both on the same page to understand like what one's going through and what one's thinking. It's going to help alleviate. I think a lot of the issues we have in society today, we always have like this, you're wrong, I'm right. We're not yeah. going to be in the middle. But if we somehow meet in the middle understand each other, whether that person's super wrong or super right, there has to be an
1: equal balance in the middle
0: there where we can kind of solve this together, right?
1: Well, you. we started off talking about these secrets that we have. This, that We're not going to talk about it. Right. The, the key is when you can start talking openly about your addiction, healing can begin. Right, And so as soon as you can get on the same page as your spouse and tell them and talk to them about what you're feeling, what's going on, the addiction process can be healed.
0: And with you being so open with your experiences, obviously with the podcast, everything you're doing with your kids, have you ever had to deal with your kids coming home and say, hey, this friend of mine saw you do a show talking about. He's curious about addiction like have you like that the ramifications of you being so open obviously in a very positive positive light yet kids be like oh your dad your dad's a druggy or your dad's addicted to like how do you deal with that
1: Yeah you know at first my kids hated it they were like ah, dad why are you so open why are you talking about this stuff dude cuz i i mean bro i if you listen to my podcast oh, I, am, I am I'm open dude i'm not going to yeah. lie about it anymore right because I do feel like we're sick of secrets. And and if we don't get it out, then, then I'm a liar. And so, but now it's a crazy. I just had my son last weekend. He's in college. His best friend's dad's going through an addiction. He's like, dad, listen, I want you to help with this. I'm going to get you on the phone. I'm going to FaceTime you. We're going to go to this guy's house. We're going to have you talk to him on FaceTime. I'm like, dude, let's go. But how cool is that? Because it hasn't always been that way. Because right. they got to see active addiction, right. so my kids, man, they're getting to see both sides of the fence, and I think it's been super beneficial for them. How do you clear your mind
0: after you? Maybe you've dealt with a couple that's uh, painkill, suicidal, or whatever it is. It's like it really hard. Does it ever trigger some of your old PTSD from your accident or shootings? How do you? Like, what do you do to kind of? Hey, I need to get away. I need to go to the beach for a couple of days. Like, you just can't. You can't physically keep putting all this weight on your shoulder from hearing these people right
1: yeah i'm I'm, I'm an empath too like I carry your emotions yeah. like I, yeah I, I told totally <laughs> you yeah. am so yeah, you know I want to feel it but i but I think I gotta feel that to be able to to help you right um dude I do I journal, I love the journal, my podcast, yep like seriously, people don't understand, but it's more of a therapy session for me than anything else yeah. getting to do this is it, I just met with a client. So I was super glad to be like, "Hey, I get to get on this podcast. We, we get to talk about it." Um, so that's cool. I have a great relationship with my wife and kids. We, you know, um, and music for me is a huge thing. Yep, dude, I throw music on and I am just get it out. I get it loud. But another thing, I use a grounding technique called five, four, three, two, one. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a it's a technique to just ground me. Right? when you're when your brain's all over the place, I need to just be like, okay dude, I need to like I need to get back. So five, four, three two three I I there's five things I can see so I actually look around five, five and point five things out. four things I can hear. three things I can um, see, hear, smell, taste, and then um, touch. Right, so that's I go through that really quickly in my brain. Five things I can see, four things I can touch, three things I can hear, two things that I can smell, and then the one hardest is your taste. But what it does is I take it through it real quick, and by the time I get to the taste, I'm I'm back to pretty much chill mode.
0: It's uh normally a couple of years ago before I started working with Shine Down, I would wake up and check my phone because I'm, I'm thinking worst case issue with a client. There's a fight whatever it is. But the singer, Brent Smith, one of the cool things he kind of told me was when you first wake up for 30 minutes, don't even look at your phone. Yes. Just hide it or whatever it's, thir- whether it's 15 or 30 or an hour, whatever it is, make your cup of coffee, do what you normally do, but don't look at your phone and kind of set yourself in a place where it's, okay, I'm in this city today, bus is parked here, venues, blah, 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 blah right here. Now I'm grounded. Now start your day. He was, he's like, John, you don't need to, when you wake up at seven in the morning from seven to seven 30, there's no, no one needs you. Like, like, right. But we, it,
1: we feel like we do. No, though. it's like, Oh I got to check
0: Instagram. I got to check Twitter. I got to send a tweet. out am like, Oh, woke up in Albuquerque. It's like, no one gives a shit. And it's like, if you could somehow ground yourself every day, it's like sometimes during the day, if it's been like a long day or a long tour, I find myself not dozing off mentally, but in a way where I'm kind of like, I'm trying to like put myself in a scenario where it's like, it's just pure like quiet, like I've been in, in a garden or I'm somewhere where I'm just outside the scope of what I'm doing. And it kind of makes me reset myself where it's like I, I have to be able to operate at my level in a very equal labor of times in terms of ups and downs. It's like sometimes when it's been a tough day, I, I just have to jump myself somewhere. We're like, OK, 30 minutes. Here I go. Let's get let's keep going.
1: So what do you do? What's your 30 <sighs> minutes, man? Do you nap?
0: No, I man, I
1: hate napping. That's it's
0: oh. one of those stigmas too. I'm a man, I don't need to nap. Dude, but all my friends do it. It's it's I can't power nap. That's the thing. It's so no
1: 15 minute nap. You're into you're into November.
0: Yeah, I can't. <laughs> There's there is no way I could if I nap, I'm going to bed. I, I don't know if it's like a visual thing for me or like a physical thing. I just don't like I have the worst FOMO when it comes to missing something. And as dumb as it sounds, when it snows out in the winter, and that's why I love New England. I love the snowfall and the blizzards. I love seeing all the snowfall. And so when it's all, happening overnight, like my sleep schedule gets so like, I don't want to miss the snowfall. I don't want to miss the plow guy. I don't want to miss – It's all throughout my life, it's like I don't – there's just different moments where I don't want to miss – I don't want to miss the mailman drop the mail off or the trash. It's like weird how my mind is very like geared towards – Never missing something. It's trivial, mm-hmm. it is. But for me, I get, if I'm fully functional, five and a half, six hours a night of sleep. Yeah. That's and it's yeah. like, And I'm just like, you know what? I don't, I'm eating healthier now, eating cleaner. I'm eating, I'm doing what I can to just prolong my uh, lifespan here, health in the health way. And I just, I don't know, man. Like, I don't. So for my 30 minutes, to answer your question, I just kind of just, I try and block out the noise, if that makes sense. Like I don't, when I'm working, I don't like music because I, I, I'm living it. Um, so I try and quiet myself. I'll maybe put my headphones on and just utter silence. I'll think to myself, I'll even Maybe sometimes talk out loud where only I could hear myself. Um, or I just, I read. I uh, It's one of these things. I have these little books I always read. Like last year was the like art of war. But now mm. it's uh, Tao Te Ching, and it's like these proverbial, like Marcus Aurelius, like these famous leaders that you're kind of looking at. It's like, What well, I, I can't relate to this. Well, I find something in those books I can relate to today, and That's so for funny. me, it's like it's it's a kind of it's kind of relaxing. I just the ultimate way to relax.
1: Love that, dude. That's cool, and and I gotta admit, dude, I'm a little jealous. Shine Down is one of my favorite bands doing the song monsters do that talk about your monsters are real bro that when i was going through my addiction when i was going through my recovery that song made sense to me yep right i'm sure they hear that all the time but like it it spoke to what i was going through i actually have a slide that i teach law enforcement with that has the lyrics to that song and we talk about that so it's it's empowering man Oh,
0: it's awesome. And to your point too, music. The people, it's always funny. It's like sometimes when people are like they're in a bad mood, you might listen to Shinedown. I might listen to Beethoven. But then you look at some people who are in a bad mood, and they're like, I want to do uh, Gravediggers uh, or uh, RZA, or I want to do heavy metal. Or if I'm in a happy or sad mood, I want to do something that's even sadder. I want to. It's like typo negative stuff. And it's was like, oh, it's crazy. Music has such a weird, peculiar, and interesting way of healing people in real time, yeah, man. Or put that person in that spot where you're kind of like, Oh, this song reminded me of addiction, or this song reminded me of when I beat addiction. And it's like that stuff never, those four chords, and that drum beat, or whatever it is, the lyrics, they don't, they never leave you. And there's something really cool about that, yeah. No, you're right,
1: man. So
0: That's cool. What are the interesting things with you with your podcast and stuff? If people want to check you out on the podcast, uh, are you streaming everywhere? Are you on YouTube, Rumble? Like How do, how can people kind of yeah, we're, follow, we're, see what you're doing? We're pretty much everywhere.
1: I have two podcasts. Um, the Chase the Vase podcast is the one that I do on my own that I, that I bring guys like you on. Um, and then I do one called The Agents of Recovery where I have an ex NFL football player from the Cardinals, a good buddy of mine nice. started, started victory recovery. And then a, a therapist named blue Robinson. He's from Utah. He runs addict to athlete. So the three of us get on and we just do this, do we talk about men's health and we get into it. And so those two, and then, and the cool thing right now we got going on is we're putting through men and women through a victory challenge. It's, it's a reset. It's five days. And it's free, man. We just want you to come on and give you an opportunity. Let us teach you. Let us coach you through some of these like real basic life skills. We're going to give you five days of it. Come on, listen to it, pay attention and then, and see if it can reset. Sometimes like in addiction, we just need that. Like just turn the knob a little bit, man. I'm just, I'm just off my headings off. I need a little direction so guys can sign up at victory recovery.org. I mean, it's real simple, um, we're not we're not collecting money. We're just trying to help people in recovery.
0: Right. It's a cool way of almost paying it forward where they get help. And then maybe they tell someone or someone sees the change they've made themselves and say, like, how how'd that happen? Like you were so it's I wish there's more organizations like that where you just felt like a safe space to kind of a true safe space to feel like these people are making a difference here.
1: Yeah, it's man, it's so hard. Like everybody's trying something, yeah, you know, and I and I and I like that. I just wish there were more people like us that would talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. I think it all comes down to it's you and I could talk about it, but you and I, especially you because you're doing it, you do what you want to do more, you want to physically get in the trenches with these people and help them. It's like for someone like me. The best I could do is have people like you on the podcast or promote people like you, where it's like, these are people making the change. If I have a friend right now that's dealing with addiction, especially law enforcement or something like that, man, you just you send, send Brock a message. He, nah, that's cool. And it's one of those things where it's like, we just have to do more as a society to look out for one another. Yeah. it's like, I know people always laugh at like the, or joke about, well, if you see a guy crying on the street or, you come up to him and say, hey, man, smile. Or give him a hug or, or just say hello. It's like that simple hello. Th- that's the equivalent of him taking how many Percocets to feel better. And it's like if we were just doing that at the beginning, how many lives would be severely altered in the most positive, badass way?
1: You know, it's, that's cool. I do a ton of outreach at the parks. That's like my that's my jam. Do like you talk about a therapy session? I love going to the parks. I love.
0: Yeah, talking nature to people. Just, yeah. yeah, just.
1: But I go and talk to the addicts. I, there's a couple of parks right here locally that just filled with homelessness. And it, it's bleak, dude, you know. But uh, I had a guy that fell into my arms a couple of days ago and just said, bro, play, will you please pray for me, dude? Because I cannot beat this addiction. Yep. And, and so what, what, what's, what's amazing is people want to reach out. It's, they want help. People don't know how to get it. Yep. They don't know how to ask for it.
0: Yeah, well, we've, we've been – I think people have been trained, especially the last couple of years, just to take the handouts and take what's offered to you because it's free and you're going to keep coming back for the free shit. It's That's that that's the stuff that's not making a difference. And I was going to ask you, when it comes to your faith, and we don't have to get the specifics per se. People that follow this podcast know I'm open Catholic and Christian. Um, but how helpful is that to you or, or maybe – this is the bare question. That guy, maybe he doesn't have a faith, but he's asking you to pray to him. Is that ever change kind of your approach to these people if they have a different belief system? Or if a total stranger asks me to pray for him, I'm gonna pray for him just because maybe they need that. Or well, clearly they need it, right? But how do you yeah. kind of balance that? Because some people kind of I don't believe in God, but I need help. It's like, well, you can still pray for that person, right?
1: Yeah. I yeah. you know what's interesting, and this is I've never seen somebody ever not want to be prayed for right you know and if they're asking me to pray they're asking for god's help right and i and i'm open christian and and he is the one that helped me get through my recovery right he's the one that keeps me sober every day um because what's interesting i'm not a big 12-step guy you know it's not how i got sober but i love the the philosophy behind it that step one is you got to admit that there's something more powerful right that you, you have to admit that you are you, you need something bigger than you. And then the 12th step is give back, yep. right? And I, I love these ideas as, I can't tell you the amount of times in my addiction where I was like, okay, I got this. I can do this. I You know, and those those are the three most dangerous words in addiction, I got this, because we don't. Right. And I had to surrender. I had to give it to somebody and say, listen, man, as mentally tough as I think I am, I'm freaking I'm powerless over this thing, and so I think people understand that when they ask you to pray for them, they understand, listen, I am so powerless. This stuff has got a hold of me, and I know that I need help,
0: yep, no it's awesome. Well, this has been awesome, Brock. I can't thank you enough for your time, and I love it. uh hopefully people take something from this. I know that we're dealing right now with that fentanyl, the drug pandemic. Uh, the real pandemic happening across the world right now, and uh, hopefully, eventually, changes start happening and people start listening and doing what they can. And, uh, I think we're better off with a bunch more Brock's in the world trying to stand up to fight to it. So, I uh, thank you for this and uh, stay safe. Thank you, brother. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPIRITALK15, you get 15% off your first order. Or, use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through nice fucking candles. Nice fucking candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65 hour burn time, maybe more, if you, uh, nurse the flame a little bit, maybe. I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time me about the wick it's a double wick for even burning which is amazing and uh they come in three incredible flavors uh i'm not sure if you're gonna be eating these candles but if you do like them the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng tobacco and fireside and seaside and driftwood once again uh nice fucking candles they are the candle company from spear talk and if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office your room your podcast room your weight room uh your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love, guys nice fuck the candle.
1: Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.
0: Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life.